And so as believers, this is the center of our faith. This is a solemn uh, thought. It's also uh, our most joyous and happy thought uh, as we come to the cross. And so we gather tonight to quiet our hearts, to put aside all the busyness of our lives, so much stuff that does not matter, and to quiet ourselves and to think about the one thing that matters more than anything else, which is what our Savior did for us. Without his sacrifice for us, we would be lost. Without his sacrifice for us, we would be separated from God. But because of what he's done, all things are ours in Christ. And so it's fitting that we should pause and focus our hearts on him. And so as we begin, would you bow your heads with me in the word of prayer? Lord Jesus, we love you. We worship you. And we come here tonight to worship you in remembrance of what you did for us on Calvary almost 2,000 years ago. Lord Jesus, you who are holy and pure allowed yourself to be degraded and shamed. You who are very life of life, you allowed yourself to be put to death. And all so that our sin could be taken from us and that your righteousness might be ours. Lord Jesus, we love you. We worship you. You are our Savior. We pray tonight, Jesus, that you would reveal yourself to us as we listen to your word, as we uh, sing praises, as we pray, as we take communion together, Jesus. The reason we do this is we want to see you more clearly. We want to fellowship with you. We are your people who have been gathered by you, who have been saved by you. So, Lord, minister to your flock tonight. We wait upon you, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Help us now to worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen. Would you stand?
was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in this world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not from them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me.
Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back... He again found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go, here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. He touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have to come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. And then seizing him, They led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance.
But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this man was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, O King of Jews, and they struck him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you You let, to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. But they shouted, Take him! Take him away! Take him away and crucify him! Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus.
Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine and vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung, who hung there hurled him insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him. I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise.
be wary of sanitizing the cross of Jesus Christ. We must be careful not to remove its rough edges with sandpaper and cleanse the blood stains with bleach. We must be careful never to domesticate the crucifixion of our Savior. As people who live on this side of the cross, we look back to the cross with rejoicing and uh, joy as we think about all of the river of blessings that flow from the cross to us, we think of our justification, our mercy and forgiveness that we've received from Christ. And we do rejoice and we sing about it and we should rejoice. But we also need to always remember that the cross was not only a moment of salvation but also a time of shame and misery for Christ because that is what our sins deserve. The cross in the ancient world, it was perhaps and is perhaps the most barbaric form of capital punishment that a human being has ever invented. Under the Roman uh, system, the victim was flogged and scourged before crucifixion and then forced to carry the storos, the cross beam, the horizontal part of the cross, from the place of sentencing to the place of execution. There at the place of execution, the victim was stripped naked and nailed or tied or both to the cross and raised up for all to see. The victim was typically crucified along a major road or crossroads because this was a public spectacle, a public humiliation. And there the person hung and crucifixion was cruelly calculated to cause the death process to be prolonged for a day or several days in certain cases. It truly was death in slow motion as the victim succumbed to shock and blood loss and dehydration and slow asphyxiation. It was so brutal that the Romans only used it on the worst of the worst. If you're a Roman citizen, you could be sure that you would be spared this fate. But if you were a murderer or a criminal or a revolutionary or someone guilty of treason or some barbaric atrocity, crucifixion was for you. And so because of its brutal nature, Romans and Greeks did not talk about crucifixion. It was a major faux pas to bring it up in polite conversation. It was just not something people talked about because it was too hideous. And the Jews didn't talk about it either. You might think that because so many of them were crucified under Roman power that perhaps they would have seen it as a symbol of martyrdom. But because of what it says in Deuteronomy 23, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Even the Jews saw it as a sign of retribution and shame. So as far as we could tell, nobody in the ancient world anywhere saw anything positive or redemptive about the cross. And brothers and sisters, that is what our Lord did for us. He who is the Lord of life, embraced an agonizing death. He who is holy and righteous, allowed himself to be raised up amidst, amongst thieves and murderers and terrorists. And so can you imagine how bizarre it must have been for the apostles to go forth into this context 
proclaiming a saving God who was crucified. Can you think about how strange it must have been for them to proclaim a message of hope and forgiveness and restoration by means of a cross? And to take it a step further, could you imagine how shocked the disciples must have been when in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said these words to them, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and to die. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What does it mean for us as Christians to take up our cross? What does that look like in real life? I think we certainly must be open to taking this in a literal way. That every Christian must be open to the possibility that the Lord would call us to suffer for him, to be martyred for him. Church tradition tells us that one by one the twelve apostles were martyred. And we know that even as we gather in this quiet, somber, dark place this evening, we know that right now there are brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are in dark prisons for their faith. But I think the command to take up our cross not only has a literal potential, but it also has a figurative, spiritual meaning. Because notice Jesus says, take up your cross daily. And certainly one cannot be martyred daily. So what does it mean? Well, a person who was going to be crucified had only one thing to do. To go with his cross to the place of execution and to expire. And so for all intents and purposes, the man carrying a cross was a dead man walking. He was as good as dead. He was dead to the world. The man carrying a cross really doesn't care about money. The man carrying a cross has let go of all relationships. The man carrying a cross doesn't care what people think because it doesn't matter anymore. That's what it means to carry a cross, is to die to the world. And so Christ calls us to die to this world and its allurements. As people who follow Christ, as people who make money and need money and use money, we have to somehow die to money. It has to become meaningless to us as something to motivate our existence. As people who live in this world, we must not be motivated by possessions, by relationships, by our lusts and greeds and desires and ambitions, because we are dead to this world and this world is dead to us in Christ. That's what it means to take up our cross. And I think even more to that, more than that, it's not only to die to the world, it means to die to ourselves. It is ultimately the crucifixion of the self. And by the self I mean the self-willed, rebellious self. The self that says, I'll do it my way, I'll pursue my dreams, I will be in control, I will live my lifestyle, I will define my truth, my morality, I will use my resources the way I wish. I will engage in relationships on my terms. That self must be crucified. When a person was carrying a cross, it was a symbol of Roman authority over the person. That rebellious person who thought they could break the law was caught and Roman authority was now literally on their back. And so as people who carry the cross of Christ, we are saying to the world, that our life of lawlessness is done and that we are under the authority of the kingdom of God. That Christ is our Lord and we do His will, not ours. When I think of carrying a cross, I think of Paul's words in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And when we live a crucified life, following Jesus' footsteps, 
I think it must also mean that we live our lives for others. Because that is why Christ was crucified, to be a servant for others, to save many through his death. And so when we live a crucified life, we are tuned in to the needs of people around us. We are tuned in to others' struggles. We are concerned for our brothers and sisters, for our families, for our spouses. We are not people who are so ethereal and so spiritual that we we don't see the people around us. On the contrary, I think being crucified to self in the world makes one incredibly tuned in to the people in our lives because we are free from self, free to serve others. And so it makes you wonder why you wouldn't want to be a Christian. If that's what it means, it's bad enough that we have to proclaim a crucified Savior to a culture that is um, addicted to success, a culture that is obsessed with comfort, our culture which is so concerned with health and wellness, to proclaim a Savior who allowed himself to be broken physically, to proclaim a Savior who allowed himself to lose from the world's standpoint, that's hard enough. And then to think we also have to tell people that if you follow Christ, you must take up a cross and die to self. Why would anyone do that? Well, Jesus goes on to tell us. He says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. The great irony that if we grasp and cling to this world, we will ultimately lose our lives. But if we willingly give up our lives for Christ, we will save our lives. Jesus goes on to say, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and let yet lose and forfeit his soul? You can have the money of a Microsoft CEO and the power of a U.S. president and the fame of a rock star and the good looks of a supermodel. But if we don't have Christ and we forfeit our soul for all eternity, what was it all about? It was meaningless. So we are faced with a choice. Either we live for the world and for ourselves and die, or we die for Christ daily and live. When the world watches us, do they see people who are bearing a cross? When the people in our life, in your life, look at you, do they see somebody who is dead and dying to the values and possessions and treasures of this world? Or do they see in us people who are indistinguishable from the world? Because make no mistake, carrying a cross is a public thing. You cannot carry a cross privately. Everybody sees it. Everybody knows it. You stick out. And I have to say, when I look at my life, I see far too much of myself. And I see far too little of Christ. I think about the call to die to self and carry my cross, and sometimes I wonder if I've ever really begun to know what that means. And this, brothers and sisters, is where I think we come full circle back to the cross of Jesus. The cross of Jesus causes us to take up our cross and our abysmal failures to take up our cross drives us back for grace to the cross of Jesus. And so we come back to the cross tonight crying out for grace and strength. And just as when Jesus collapsed under physical exhaustion and they pressed Simon of Cyrene into service to help carry Jesus' cross. So I think it's a picture in some ways of how we continually collapse from our spiritual exhaustion. And our Savior comes alongside us and He carries the cross that He commands us to take. The way we carry our cross 
is by relying on the Savior for whom we carry our cross. That it's by His life in us and His strength in us that we can do anything. And so let us joyfully, gleefully, with our eye on eternal life, take up the cross and follow Him. Would you pray with me? As you look at your own life, as you're quiet before the Lord, are there some things in your life that need to be crucified? Are there sins that stand out glaringly? Is there some worldly attachment which may not be bad in and of itself, but in your life has taken on an idolatrous dimension? Are there attitudes, anger, pride, sloth, laziness, self-righteousness that need to have a heavy metal spike driven through them? Whatever those things are, I just invite you to take a moment of silence, give those to Christ yet again, confess your sins, and ask for His grace to help you to put to death self. Would you take a moment now as well just to praise and worship your Savior for His great and eternal love for you. Lord Jesus, hear our prayers. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, He breathed his last. We come now to the Lord's table. This is a commemoration of what Jesus did for us on the cross. We celebrate his death for us. This bread we're about to eat commemorates his body, which was broken. And this cup which we are about to drink commemorates His blood that was shed. Jesus gave us this ceremony and He called upon us to observe it regularly as we remember what He did for us. And so this table is open tonight. Even if you're not a regular member of our church, you're welcome to eat here so long as you know Christ as your Savior. Because by eating these elements, what you are publicly saying is that I know Christ and I trust in Christ and I love Him. Um, If you have children with you, you may want to have them just participate by watching because it's important when you take these elements that you really know what you're doing and why. So we invite uh, perhaps parents to use their own discretion there as they know where their children are at spiritually. And remember the night before Jesus went to the cross, he took bread and broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And he also took a cup of wine and he gave it Symbolic meaning as well. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. And if you've been to our Monday Thursday service, we do it a little different here than we typically do it in our church tradition. Instead of the elements being brought out to you, we're going to invite you to come forward. And uh, we'll start with the front rows and, and just go row by row, come to the center. Come to me, I will give you the bread. And then go off to either side and Pastor Seth and Pastor Rich will be here. And they have uh, the cup for you. And you can either take the elements there, you can take them back to your pew and pray if you want. 
to just spend the time with the Lord as you feel led. Uh, and then when we're all done, we will um, take this handout that I hope you got when you came in. It has a prayer on one side and a closing hymn on the other. So just have that ready. Let's pray again. Heavenly Fathers, we come into your presence now through the Lord's Supper. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be our host, that you would minister to us, that we might feed upon you spiritually, that you would nourish our spirits. Lord Jesus, we love you, and as we celebrate this meal, we come with solemnity and joy. We come with heavy hearts and light hearts, because you have saved us through your sacrifice. And so, Jesus, be with us now. Thank you for this moment. It is in your name and through you that we pray. Amen. stand please through the cross we have peace with our savior we have peace with our maker and he gives us peace with one another it is through the cross that we are reconciled to God and to one another so would you take a moment and turn to the person around you and say the peace of the Lord be with you and let's pass the peace of the Lord Now, if you'll find that handout, there's a prayer on one side and a hymn on the back. The prayer starts with Heavenly Father. We're going to pray this prayer together. This is a great old Puritan prayer from the Valley of Vision book. And then we'll sing the hymn on the other side. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Thou hast led me singing to the cross. 
where I fling down all my burdens and see them vanish, where my mountains of guilt are leveled to a plain, where my sins disappear, though they are the greatest that exist and are more in number than the grains of fine sand. For there is power in the blood of Calvary to destroy sins more than can be counted, even by one from the choir of heaven. Thou hast given me a hillside spring that washes clear and white, and I go as a sinner to its waters, bathing without hindrance in its crystal streams. At that cross there is free forgiveness for poor and meek ones and ample blessings that last forever. The blood of the Lamb is like a great river of infinite grace with never any diminishing of its fullness as thirsty ones without number drink of it. My Lord and Savior, Thou hast also appointed a cross for me to take up and carry, a cross before Thou givest me a crown. Thou hast appointed it to be my portion, but self-love hates it, carnal reason is unreconciled to it. Without the grace of patience I cannot bear it, walk with it, profit by it. O blessed cross, what mercies dost thou bring with thee? Thou art only esteemed hateful by my rebel will, heavy because I shrink thy load. Teach me, gracious Savior, that with my cross thou sendest promised grace, so that I may bear it patiently, that my cross is thy yoke which is easy and thy burden which is light.
was a dark day on Friday, but Sunday was coming. Amen. So we look forward to the resurrection. I hope you can come celebrate the resurrection with us this Sunday. There's a 6.30 sunrise service on Stodder's neck, so bring a sweatshirt and worship outside to the sunrise. And then we have three services here, 8 a.m., 9.45, and 11.30 a.m. So we hope you can come and bring a friend and uh, celebrate with us. Now, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would send us forth with your blessing, with uh, the cross exalted in our hearts and our minds, ready to carry the cross for you. Lord Jesus, we want to be faithful witnesses for you. So, Lord, help us this week. And, Lord, put a, a joy in our hearts as we look forward to Easter that celebration of Christ's resurrection. And uh, Lord, as we look forward to the day when He will come again, not in brokenness, not in humility and shame, but in power and glory and righteousness to bring us home and to bring Your kingdom to bear forever and ever. Amen.